With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Today on Stick to Football, you get Executive Director Jim Nagy talking all things Senior Bowl. Will we have one? That's the big question. Uh, As well as we start our NFL season previews today with the NFC East. Can Dallas take it back? Is Philly good enough? We're going to break it all down. Matt Mello and Connor, so happy to be back with you guys. Happy Monday morning for us. And happy Tuesday morning for our listeners. For you. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, we used to have those listeners that would like wake up at 3 a.m. when the episode drops. I wonder if we still have those. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, and we also get our, our lovely international listeners because they're already yeah. getting their day going. So they, they uh, really rely on that 3 a.m. But, yeah, it's a good morning here. Uh, you know, a lot to talk about with Jim because as something we've discussed before amongst us three, not just football, but definitely the Senior Bowl and these All Star games and everything with the draft is is could potentially be very different this year. Yeah, and we're trying to ask smart people those questions. Like we've had Ross Dellinger on, now we have Jim Nagy. We want to ask people who are in the know what our fall and spring in the draft process uh, is going to look like. So we'll get to Jim a little bit later in the show. But guys, let's start here. A remarkable story. Go ahead and give him the Comeback Player of the Year award, if you ask me. Alex Smith, his wife, shares this just heartwarming video of him being cleared to resume football activities, and the kids are spraying him with the sparkling grape juice or whatever it is. It's it's such a great story, and uh, over the break, if anyone watched the documentary that they put out, it's just phenomenal the road this guy has come back on, where he thought they shattered his leg, thinks he's going to lose his leg, and now he's back on a football field in pads, throwing and moving again. I have been an Alex Smith fan for a long time as a 49ers fan. Definitely cooled on him toward the end of his run there. Uh, Then he goes to Mello's Chiefs, now with the Washington football team. I I just can't think of this. like There's not a better guy in the NFL. So happy to see him get back on the field. I remember it was pretty soon after his injury. He talked about how he wasn't ready to call it a career yet. And having conversations away from a microphone, there's like, this dude's crazy. If you think he's going to be able to play football again, like that's a great story, but it will never happen. Uh, that one's on me. I'll own it. Like good for Alex Smith. Could not be happier for this guy. Everything that he's gone through. Obviously, like the documentary that aired this summer uh, was exceptional. So very happy for him. Uh, and I think it's going to make things interesting in Washington. Uh, I keep thinking that maybe this is just a dream. But he's not really going to be able to play, but we might be able to see the dude on the field this season. I just think it's crazy that he's already cleared. It's mind-blowing, really, is how impressive it is. I mean, I thought we would see at least another year, right, guys, of him just you know continuing to go through rehab and and with the hopes that he can make it back on a practice field one day. The fact that we're talking about this this summer, really before padded practices had even begun, it's super, super impressive. And Alex Smith has just become one of those guys that is very, very easy to root for. 
And at this point, like I would not rule out Alex Smith starting for Washington. I really wouldn't. And that's not a knock on Dwayne Haskins or Kyle Allen. But if you have a veteran like this, who I I think Ron Rivera still prefers a, a veteran quarterback. Maybe I'm wrong there, but like I just I wouldn't rule it out at this point. And maybe that's too like feel good story for me. You know, maybe that's very Disney. But at this point, I don't think we can sit here and say, no, nah, this will never happen. Because I did after he broke his leg, and they are like, hey, we, we thought you were going to lose your leg. 17 surgeries, and now he's cleared to play in the NFL again. It's just a phenomenal, phenomenal story. So uh, congrats to Alex Smith and his family, and, and can't wait to see how that quarterback battle does shake out in Washington, where new team president was named Monday morning. Congrats to Jason Smith, uh, first black team president in NFL history. So big, big culture change in Washington with a Hispanic head coach and Ron Rivera and black team president in Jason Smith. So pretty good day for Washington, which we don't get to say a lot on this show. <laughs> it's been a minute since we have mentioned that, but I, I do like what they're doing. It looks like they're probably headed in the right direction with the mascot logo change, everything that's going on, bringing Alex Smith back. I, I do wonder, man, I, I was just still question that leg. Even watching like the video, it's like, is he moving that well? But then I pulled up this morning and I'm watching him throw footballs and Dude's moving just as well as he ever has. Yeah, and guys, I mean, I'm ready to see Chase Young out there. I don't know about you, but that's oh, yeah. <laughs> when we talk about this football team, that's what I'm interested in looking at on the field. Uh, obviously, there's been a big leadership change with this organization that starts at Ron Rivera, which is great, getting a guy in there to take over as, as team president like Jason Wright that has NFL experience, has a tremendous resume. Uh, I mean, it's it's exciting. It's the right direction. I still think they have a, a long way to go on the field still. It's going to take some time. But, I mean, we're going to see some of these training camp, you know, clips or tweets or whatever it is. And it's just exciting that football is back. Yeah, and guys, for a couple people who football, uh, they're at least done for this season. Warren Jackson, a wide receiver from Colorado State, opted out of the season and declared for the draft. And Oklahoma running back Kennedy Brooks has opted out, but has not, at least as of Monday morning, said that he's going to head to the NFL. So for Kennedy Brooks, it might just be... Maybe he just hasn't said it yet, but maybe he's just going to take the year off and then come back next year for Oklahoma now. I mean, that's Trey Sermon goes to Ohio State, Kennedy Brooks opts out. They're Oklahoma. They're probably going to be okay. Yeah, looking pretty thin, though. But for a team that's ushering in a new quarterback in Spencer Rattler, now you have a new running back. They're at least going to be young. Now, we've seen that before, and they've been okay. So uh, we'll see how that works out. But this is at least on the surface a big blow for a team in terms of experience. It, it definitely is. And seeing Trey Sermon leave, like, I know it's Oklahoma. You kind of feel bad for the guy. Like, he left. He transferred to Ohio State. Now his team's not even going to be playing. And then Oklahoma, looking a little thin, that running back. They do still have some guys in Stevenson and Pledger that I think will probably shock you and can get the job done. Uh, we've seen a lot of running backs come through Oklahoma before. And it's like, who the hell is this guy? And then, boom, next guy up, they have a running back that produces every year. And then you look at Warren Jackson. I mean, this is somebody that we will be talking about for the draft. Just a big-bodied wide receiver that was coming off a super productive season. And I think, you know, it's it's another one of these stories that it's a shame, right? Because this is a player that you would have liked to see play his get his senior season, not lose his senior season. Coming off that 77 catch, you know, over 1,100 yards, eight touchdown kind of year, a potential big play guy. And I think it's one of those players that we're going to look at and, you know, maybe his real last opportunity now is something like the Senior Bowl where 
you know, yes, you have a full productive season of tape on him, but you would have liked to see a little more. And these are the kind of declarations. This was the one to me, I don't know about you guys, maybe Jalen Twyman a little bit, but this was the most notable one to me where I was like, man, this is where it's going to start getting hard. Like, this isn't Micah Parsons. This isn't Gregory Rousseau. This isn't Rondell Moore. This is a guy that's coming off a really good year. But once again, this is where the evaluations are going to start getting more difficult. Yeah, this is a Mountain West receiver, and he's huge. I I like his game, but you talk about guys that really probably needed to put out more tape. I I do think that he probably did. Or, you know, maybe in a couple months after watching more of his games, I'm going to be like, this is the guy. He's the truth. He's 6'6", 215. Uh, I'm looking forward to digging into his tape. I, I honestly, I have not uh, watched a full game of his yet, but I am aware of who the player is, and it looks like he has a lot of upside. I do wonder if he's going to be able to find himself at the top of this very loaded receiver class. Yeah, he's actually a player who is only on my list because of the person we're going to talk to later in the show, Jim Nagy, because he is a senior. And uh, when he and I start talking to each other uh, early in the summer, it's okay, who who are we looking at? Because you don't want to miss anybody, right? I don't want to miss anybody. He doesn't want to miss anybody. And that's why Warren Jackson was on the list. 77 catches last year. As Connor said, big body, 6'6", 215. And so with that, there are going to be questions about, obviously, flexibility, speed. Now we're not going to see that on the field. But he's a senior, and if we're able to have a senior bowl this year, he's going to be eligible for that, regardless of if he uh, if this season counts for him as an opt out or not. So uh, it is it, it it does get tough, and I agree with Connor. There are a couple guys where Jalen Twyman was one where it was like, oh man, I would have liked to have seen another year of football from him. I think Warren Jackson is the same because with receivers. We know how good this group is. Uh, I think we talked about it uh, the other day. Todd McShay had eight wide receivers in his first round. Warren Jackson wasn't one of them. And so right. you're autom- automatically fighting a pretty big uphill battle to get into that recognition of being a, a top 100 pick uh, in that top three round area. Uh, guys, I want to talk about this. though. Justin Fields, uh, over the weekend, uh, puts out a petition. And I believe his original goal was like 4,000 signatures. And he said, we want to start a petition so that the Big Ten can play. And it's basically like, hey, if the SEC and the Big 12 and the ACC can play, uh, why can't we? And it's, you know, it's a fair question. It's a question that we've all raised. Uh, We're sitting here Monday. My daughter goes back to college today. She's on campus. They're not playing football in the MIAA. She's on campus in class with the rest of her students. This is basically what Justin Fields is saying. It's like, if we can be here, why can't we play? And if they can play, why can't we? 230 thousand signatures so far and we will gladly put down the name of any sticky who would like us to sign this petition for them uh but justin fields tweets it out 231,000 signatures already which is nice and again it's cool to see the players having a little bit of a voice like no matter where you land on this argument should they play football should they not it's nice that you're having these star players come out and saying this is what we want. They should at least have a say in what they want to do. And Justin Fields, I think, has done a better job than any other player that's currently in the NCAA. I think when you look at it, you know, him and Trevor Lawrence have been out in front of leadership on all of this. I think it shows, you know, it reinforces the point that it's tough for to be a player and sit there and you're looking at, you know, three of the power five getting ready to play football, getting excited to announce schedules. I'm just torn here, guys. It's tough. Like, I understand the player safety element of it. I understand the schools don't want to be liable for it. But as a competitor, as an athlete, you have to feel for a guy like Justin Fields that in his mind probably felt, hey, I'm a guy that's going to show I could be the number one overall pick this year. I'm playing on a team that 
always, but definitely this year, has national championship aspirations. And I think this just kind of reinforces how frustrating this entire thing probably has been for him and and all that all the players on the Ohio State program and all the players in the Big Ten. Yeah, and I think that if I'm Justin Fields or anyone in the Big Ten or uh, Pac-12, it's like it just feels like maybe you made these decisions too quickly. I do find it interesting. There has been almost no conversation at least has hit my radar from Pac-12 players or coaches quite like the Big Ten. Like you can't get on Twitter without seeing Ohio State football administrators mad about this. Like or Big Ten players. It's just it's it's a different, I guess a different mindset, a different world. But Justin Fields at least trying to get something done. And as Mello said, the leadership that Justin Fields has shown over the last month to the public eye has been incredibly impressive. And I've no doubt this is who he is behind closed doors, whether it was at Georgia or Ohio State. This young man's just an exceptional leader. He's a smart, critical thinker. That's what you want at the quarterback position. So I will say it's impressing me to see uh, both he and Trevor Lawrence use their platforms. And I know Justin Fields said over the weekend, they didn't realize how big their voice was. Now they do. Yeah, well, and I also think that Justin Fields probably knows he's not playing in that spring you know, nah. he's opting out and he's going to do his NFL work. So his last chance to really play at Ohio State, play for that Heisman Trophy and for that national championship is going to have to come this fall with Ohio State and not some other team. Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's another issue we're looking at here, right? Like when it comes down to it, this spring season has also, and I don't know if we've talked about this enough, only a little bit with Ross, the spring season or the potential of one has left a lot of players in limbo, right? Where we don't know if these transfer waivers would be granted, if there's eligibility, if there's any of these things. So the spring season, while in theory says, hey, football, hey, you know, hope in the future, could almost be viewed as a as a negative for a lot of these guys because it, it just leaves you with maybe even more questions. No, it absolutely does. And, and as we're going to find out in our interview with Jim Nagy, Everyone has questions right now, and no one knows the answer to them. It is definitely a frustrating time because you want to make plans. You want to know what's going on. It's hard to make those plans that affect, especially as a player, affects the rest of your life. And you're being asked to make decisions without without knowing what all the options are. One last bit of news before we get to that Jim Nagy interview. Des Bryant. Traveling to Baltimore for a workout. Apparently, this has been in the works for quite some time. Dez has been working out. If you follow him on Twitter, you absolutely know that already. But for a player who has not been in the NFL in quite some time, uh, I think this is a little bit of a surprise. But Baltimore, you know, they've been rumored with Antonio Brown. Now Dez Bryant. I mean, I don't know if Keyshawn Johnson's still working out. I don't know who else they're going to try to bring back in here. But uh, all the veteran receivers, basically. Yeah, it hasn't played in the league since 2017. Uh, I wonder I wonder if he really has what it takes to get back on the field. I mean, it's been three years. I would think that if somebody really wanted him, they would have given him that chance. And I know he got the chance with the Saints, but now he's facing a torn Achilles that he's recovering from trying to get back on the field. It also makes me wonder from a Ravens point of view, what are they seeing that they don't like about their young receivers? There's a lot of young talent there, but they keep having their name tied to these veteran guys that maybe they don't love the receivers they have in-house. And they are a really young group, right? You look at it with yeah, Hollywood very. Brown. You know, obviously they drafted Devin Duvernay, James Proche. Like, as you look at that group, there is a lot of young players. So maybe it's the need for a veteran presence. This is obviously a team that's going to run the football a lot and utilize 
uh, very heavy sets with a lot of tight ends. So they're not always going to be relying on having, you know, four or five wide receivers that are just super productive. I think when I look at it with Dez, guys, wants a really, really exciting player. I mean, he hasn't gone, he hasn't topped 900 yards since 2014. Oh, you know, I've, in, in injury plague season in 2015, only 400 yards. You know, missed a couple games in 2016, 796 yards. 2017, played the full regular season, 838 yards. You got to wonder after that injury, can he run anymore? And, and I, I want Des Bryant back in football. I would love to see Des Bryant be, you know, probably a red zone package kind of player. Somebody that maybe can mentor some of those young guys. But once again, you have to wonder for a team, you know, what Des Bryant, unfortunately, are you getting anymore? And, you know, it's he's only 31. This isn't <laughs> like Larry Fitzgerald is still out there making plays. Uh, it just might be an injury related problem of him not getting back to, you know, NFL caliber speed. Yeah, we'll see if he can get back. And actually, I, I thought he was washed at the end of the Dallas run. So I, I would love to be proven wrong. Des a, a uh, he's been a fun player to watch over the course of his career. Let's take a break. When we come back. We get Jim Nagy, executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. We are excited this morning to have our guy, Jim Nagy, executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl on with us. And Jim, normally we would bring you on right before the season and talk about sleepers and watch list guys. This year, we <laughs> have to ask you, like, how are you dealing with the fact that I mean, a good portion of college football has been canceled. As we sit here Monday morning, Justin Fields might be changing that. But it at least looks like we're going to have maybe no Pac-12 and no Big Ten. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we, we could go on and on. Um, it, it's definitely a different year, guys. And, and we've had all summer to pretty much prepare for contingencies. Uh, if we weren't playing football, um, you know, I just can't believe we're sitting here in August kind of staring in the face. So. Um, having to maybe implement some of these contingency plans. So yeah, it's a it's a change in landscape. And you know, last week uh, the the sky was kind of falling in college football. So we're just you know we're trying to stay fluid and and be ready to react and respond. And I I, I personally hate being reactive. I'd much rather be proactive. But but we just got to We got to do what we have to do. So um, that's why last week was really a fact finding week for us. Um, getting on the Zoom call with the 32 teams and really informative call with those guys there's over 70 guys from around the league on there um director level guys gms and then uh i spent friday basically the whole afternoon talking to big 10 coaches and in dpp level guys just trying to get a feel for you know they're they're realistically is, is this winter spring thing going to happen and, and how that maybe affects our invites there's a lot to lot to unpack so just a totally different year so, Jim, what is your kind of confidence meter that we will have a 2021 Senior Bowl? Uh, I'm very confident, very confident, you know, especially if we're playing some sort of football this fall. You know, if the SEC, Big 12, ACC, if someone holds out and plays, I don't see why we why we wouldn't. And I still think we would, we would have a good chance to have our game anyway. You know, that was part of what came off the call last week with the NFL teams. Is I'm trying to get a handle on, on what they're getting done right now from a football perspective. Uh, that if, if we did if we did have to operate under uh, you know the current climate right now with COVID, what could we get done realistically in practice? Um, and so that was that was kind of the stuff. So no, we're we're confident we're going to have the game. Uh, you know, hopefully, um, if we get it in November, December, as we get later in the fall, and there's a vaccine, you know, hopefully that could be widespread and we could have this thing look as as normal as we 
as normal as possible, but if not, um, you know, we plan on having the players here and, and, and getting work done and, and, you know, kind of providing what we always provide for the, for the 32 teams. And that's just kind of a showcase for those players and a opportunity for them to meet them. Because again, this is, it's, it's such a weird year in terms of scouting, um, you know, with, with scouts not being able to get into schools and on campus, um, they're just going to, they're going to be way behind when it comes to an information gathering uh, perspective as well. So, those are all the things we tried to cover. And that last point you you made makes me wonder, you know, this is obviously the Senior Bowl is super important for players every year. But this year it could be maybe the only opportunity or at least from a live practice standpoint for some guys or for some scouts and some teams to get a look at these players. Is that something you look at, Jim, and go, hey, maybe we we need an extra day. Maybe we need longer practices. Maybe we need to do things differently because of – how important, how much of a pedestal this opportunity will be for both sides this year, the league and the prospects. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in a, in a normal year, the, the, the teams are coming down here and they've, they've been across the country all fall. They've had multiple guys from their personnel department through these schools. So they feel like they're in a pretty good spot. So that, that's, I mean, getting on the field is one thing. Um, but really connecting with these teams off the field uh, in a more relaxed setting than the combine is always a huge sell for our game. You know, just get, getting to know these guys. Again, I jumped on a, a call a week ago with one of the opt-out guys, uh, and that's what I told him. I said, "You're going to be your name's going to be right on the board next to another junior um, at your position, and all things being equal, that guy's not going to have a chance to come here to Mobile. You will be. Um, and, and again, these GMs are all just, they're just normal guys. They're just they're just human beings, and and uh, like we all are, we want to be familiar with with people and have a good you know have a good feel. So you know if you could come down here and spend a week or two, um, that would greatly help you. But but yeah, and that's what we've talked about is maybe extending the week out, guys. Uh, make it more of a two week event than a one week, just because it, in a in a year like this, um, for these and again, I'm mindful of the big Big Ten and Pac-12 guys right now. Um, if they haven't put pads on in 12 months. You know, that's that's a challenge. And, and I want these guys all to come down here and feel like they're putting their best foot forward. And that's going to be tough if you haven't had pads on in 12 months. So maybe lengthen it out and have kind of a ramp-up period, three or four days of, of conditioning and doing combine-type drills. Uh, you know that you see that the position drills at Indy, uh, maybe doing some of that stuff just in helmets, and then, you know, maybe go to uppers for, for an extra two or three days, and then maybe have, you know, have – three or four padded, fully padded practices rather than just two. So um, greater opportunity for the NFL to evaluate these guys, greater opportunity for, for the players to shake off the rust um, and put their best foot forward. Uh, again, and theoretically, all these guys have, have gotten bigger, faster, and stronger over the last 12 months. So, you know, our game might be the only opportunity for these guys to get on a field and show that, right? So, uh, yeah, we do. We do feel like this is a, a big year for us and a big opportunity rather than, rather than just a challenge. We see it as an opportunity. Hey, Jim, I just want to ask if you guys go to a two week event, will there be any type of like IV stations available for the media? Because I barely make it a week down there, dude. So we're going to need we're going to need something like free Gatorade or I, you're going to need to bring on another sponsor if you go two weeks. Yeah, there is a place in town, a place I think it's called the Rehydration Station. And I've, I've, always, I've always thought if you did a food truck, you did a hydration food truck, and you, and you took that to uh, Senior Bowl, Combine, 
and maybe even out on the road to some pro days, you, you'd, you'd get some good business. So we might have to think about that. Maybe we'll co-brand it with uh, Veets and park it right across the street. <laughs> I was going to say, I thought the hydration station was just called Veets. That's where everybody goes to get their drinks, right? That's the dehydration station. <laughs> yeah, goodness. Uh, Jim, if, if I can ask a, a second question, I don't want to jump in on the guys, but how would this work? And maybe you don't know the answer. If a player... Does a player have to opt out in order to be eligible? Because we don't know right now if the Pac-12 and Big Ten are going to count this canceled slash postponed season. So say you have a a Pac-12 senior who's now had his season canceled. Would he have to opt out to be eligible? Because I know there are a lot of kind of wonky rules about if a guy has eligibility, scouts are not really able to watch him at an event like this. Yeah, that's a great question, and I, I don't have the answer for it. That's going to have to come from the league office, and, and we've tried connecting with those guys on a couple different occasions, But um, and, and I completely understand this. They are, they are in a mode right now where they are just trying to get their season launched, so I, I, totally, I totally get that. But that's one of those questions that we need to talk about is, is what these players are classified as. Is there an opt-out date? Um, you know, is there is there a date where they have to opt into the pre-draft process? You know, the other the other major question for the league is, what are you going to do with the draft calendar? So, yeah. you know, I think the possible date in the CBA for the draft would be June second. Um, if they move back, you know, that four or five week span, what would that do to our game? Would we move back as well? Would the combine move? Uh, I tried connecting with uh, the combine. Jeff Foster at the combine last week and. and um, didn't didn't connect. So that's that's a goal for this week is to connect with Jeff and just see what kind of flexibility he has. You know, I know that Indy's kind of a hub for uh, conferences. You know, that's a huge kind of, uh, you know conference center downtown Indy, and and again they might they, those contracts might be booked out years in advance. So I don't know what type of wiggle room or flexibility Jeff might have to move his event. Um, you know, we always want to keep that window between our game and the combine just so the guys have a chance to to leave Mobile and and get to their, their combine training. So um, those are still things we're working through, guys. Um, I wish I had a better answer for you. That's kind of where we're at right now. It, I'll transition a little bit here, Jim. Uh, on Twitter, I see you get this question a lot, so maybe you can just put it out here for our listeners. How come we can't see more juniors uh, that aren't graduated already? How come they cannot play in the Senior Bowl? Um, you know, because right now the NFL's got a, a free feeder system with, with the NCAA, and I don't, I don't think it makes good sense to disrupt that, right? Um, you know, because, again, if an all-star game served as an incentive for a player to leave early, that's just – I don't think we ever want to be in that, that space. So, you know, with the graduates, that was a great rule that was changed a few years ago, six, seven years ago now. Uh, it's been a huge focus um, the last two years since we've been at the game was to – Beef that up. I think we've had 23 juniors over the last two years, and some really high-profile ones like Daniel Jones and Jordan Love. Um, but if but if we just open it up to any junior, um, you know, again, I, I just don't think that's a road the legal uh, will go down. I think if, with the junior grad thing, these guys have all done what they're supposed to do when they go to school, right? They've got their degree, so um, I don't think anyone can stand in their way at that point. But um, yeah, I don't think we'll ever get to that point. It'd be great. Um, we'd get a lot, we'd get a lot of good players, but, but I don't foresee that ever happening. I'll take a a step away from the doom and gloom for a minute here, Jim. I got to ask you about this running back duo that is slated to play football this year with Travis Etienne and Najee Harris, both being senior bowl eligible. Is that possibly the best one, two kind of punch at running back that the senior bowl would have? And God, at least a decade in my eyes. 
Yeah, that's always a difficult position for us because a lot of those guys don't come, a lot of guys at running back don't come back for their senior year. So, um, yeah, that's probably safe to say with those two guys. But then if you look, uh, there's another high-profile high junior that we've identified that will have his diploma from what we understand. Uh, can't name his name. But then you go down the list. I mean, in my estimation, a guy like Trey Sermon at Ohio State, I think, is incredibly talented. Rakeem Boyd at Arkansas, Elijah Mitchell at Louisiana. Um, the other Alabama running back, Brian Robinson. There's some. This is a really, uh, it's a really deep running back group, and and we're going to have to make some tough cuts. Usually, you're, you, you know, you're you're, you're kind of, uh, you know, searching for guys at that position. At least we have been the last two years, and uh, but this year we, we might have to make some really difficult cuts there. If there can be a silver lining to everything that's happening, it might be that it, at least. I mean, Jim, you know, players ask all the time, hey, should I go to the Senior Bowl? And I'm always, yes, you should. But it seems like this year we could see a record low in terms of dropouts for you guys because we do get that. We get guys who are like, yeah, I'm going to be a first-round pick. I'm not going to go. Or maybe I'm nursing an injury. I'm not going to go. But this year, especially if we have multiple conferences not playing football, I would think you guys might actually have to turn people away this year instead of doing some of the late recruiting in order to fill those rosters. Well, yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, and we've worked really hard over the last two years to kind of change that mindset. Because uh, to me, the early round guys have more to gain by coming here. They honestly do, guys. Again, the Ben Bart stories where, you know, you get a D3 kid that goes from a sixth or seventh round pick to the early fourth round, or, you know, a Terry McLaurin who goes from, you know, a sixth or seventh round pick who most, most people in the league saw as a special teams player to be in, you know, a third round pick. Those are great stories, and those guys make a lot of money by jumping multiple rounds. But you know, if you if you're in the if you're in the late first or early second, and you can go from thirty five to twenty four, from eighteen to eleven, I mean that's millions and millions of dollars. Um, so that's that's the, that's what I've been trying to get out to these guys. And you know, last year's game, the, the three guys that just flat out declined the invite were Joe Burrow, Derek Brown, and, and Trayvon Diggs, um, the corner from Alabama. So. Um, and the year before, I think it was at six. Um, you know, we lost 11 guys that were drafted in the first three rounds. Uh, we had 40 drafted out of the game in the first three rounds. We had 51 accepted invites in those first three rounds. Of those 11, the major- vast majority were injuries, like Jordan Brooks had a shoulder surgery. Um, Jeff Gladney had a surgery. So we had some – and then there was a couple guys that just dropped at the last minute, like Raekwon Davis from Alabama. So we, we had a little bit of that. So I don't think we'd lose those injury guys this year. Hopefully not, um, at least out of those two conferences that are playing right now. So that, that will certainly help. But uh, I just think we need to keep pushing the narrative, um, you know, that it, it's, it's so much – it's so beneficial for these early-round guys to come here and really separate themselves from the juniors that can't come. Because, again, I think it goes back to – I mean, it's pretty simple. I mean, these guys making decisions in the NFL—they're just—they're just normal guys. And 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 I hear it over and over from from the guys that make the picks—is they just feel better about guys that come to Mobile because they just—they feel like they know them better. Um, so that's that—that's what we keep need to keep getting out there to the players. Well, I think Baker Mayfield was one of those guys too. Went from you know maybe being a first round quarterback, maybe being up there, and then had a great week at the Senior Bowl and was—I mean, obviously the number one overall pick. Do you see any? Any seniors that you're kind of watching at the quarterback position yet? Um, yeah, I mean, again, this 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 crew of quarterbacks, we were hoping, we were hoping we we're going to get a longer look at some of these guys, right? Because there's some guys that are, you know, transfer players, a um, couple of juniors we can't talk about. 
that uh, are going to be graduates in December that we definitely would have liked to have seen play more football. Um, even a guy like Sam Ellinger, I would have been interested to see him play a little more, even though he's played a lot at Texas. You know, I would have liked to see him, Kyle Trask at Florida in his second year as a starter coming back. I think we were really excited to see him. So, you know, that was a position group that, that really kind of needed to sort itself out. And, uh, you know, if we do go to, if we, if we add some numbers roster size wise, we'll probably beef up that position a little bit, maybe go back to the, the eight that we had two years ago. Um, to get longer looks, I think the league's going to need a longer look at some of these guys as well. So what does your fall look like now, Jim? I mean, we, we're used to being on the road. Last year, I felt like almost every weekend we were with you on the road out in Tuscaloosa. What is this season going to look like for you in terms of preparation and planning? Yeah, I mean, really, uh, the, the only benefit from, from what we've all gone through with the pandemic for us internally is we've I've had a lot of time just to sit and watch tape. So we've, we've had to cancel a lot of things we like to do in our community down here with you know, youth football and high school football and trying to support all levels of the game down here. So we have just, we, we've just had a lot of time to look at players. So we, you know, the board is, is basically set right now. We would, we feel confident picking a roster if we had to right now, it doesn't mean you can't always watch more tape. And uh, I think for some of these guys, we'll want to go back to, um, you know, even some more early tape 2018, maybe uh, like a guy we posted about um, Chris Evans, the running back from Michigan, maybe go back, some earlier stuff on him because he didn't play last year. But um, again, you can always watch more, but we feel like we're in a really good spot. It's going to, you know, the hard part not being out there this fall is the body type is such a big part of the evaluation. I think it's part of the evaluation that a lot of people overlook. I um, mean, that's what we've tried to do over the last two years with our pregame videos that our scouts put out is take you, you know, take you down to field level and get you right up right up on top of these guys so you can get a feel for what their their body composition is because we won't have that this year which is uh which is unfortunate because it is a big a big part of it so you know we're, we're just going to have to rely heavily on the tape and if uh, some schools are are good enough to uh, let us in and you know right now the talk in the sec is maybe letting some scouts come to the games but keep you in the first row of the stands during pregame which should still be good we can still eyeball those guys um but again those are you know, I think we'll, we're going to have a better feel um, what the what the schools are planning to do here in the next month or so. But uh, needless to say, we won't have the presence on the road that, that we have over the last couple of years. Jim, the last one I have for you, buddy, before we, we let you go, I know you have a radio spot to get to. How much time are you guys spending on any type of health planning right now in case there, in case we are able to, you know, come in mass to Mobile in January? Is that something you guys are looking at now or is it too early to start doing that given how fast information is changing? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. That, that was a lot of what, what we were asking of the league on the call last week was, you know, just kind of what, what are the protocols? What are you guys doing right now internally with COVID? Um, how are you protecting your guys? We talked about what they're getting done on the field, but also, you know, how are you, you know, what's this bubble look like? You know, how are you guys, what procedures are you going through to ensure safety? Uh, we definitely want to do that. So we've, we, we, we've looked into, you know, what, what's it going to take for us to bubble down here if we have to do it? You know, maybe let two or, two or three scouts or coaches per team, you know, bubble in the team hotel. I mean, the week could look very different. So let, let, let's face it. I mean, the second floor of the hotel is, is usually a free-for-all where you can grab these players and interview them, and, and we would have to shut that down. Um, I mean, there, there's, there's a lot. So over the weekend, this saliva direct thing with the uh, – saliva testing can be huge for us it's big in terms of you know a cost structure for our you know for us it's big in terms of identifying you know breakouts um, so 
so that was a, that was a big deal. And again, now we're 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 just under six months away from our game. That's if we don't move it. So you know, a lot can happen. A lot can change. But again, we're we're doing our due diligence with the guys in the league and at some of the schools, and and, and we're going to be prepared if if we bring all the players here in mass. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna make sure that they're safe. Jim, can you give us like your unicorn guy, that one guy that you really want for the Senior Bowl this year? The guy we would love for the Senior Bowl this year? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd have to say it's Trevor Lawrence. So, you know, he's a junior, obviously, but but uh, the guys at Clemson, and the only reason I bring his name up is because the, the guys at Clemson, Coach Sweeney and Coach McCorvey, have been, you know, been pretty open since the game last year. They grabbed me on the field at last year's game and said, hey, just a quick heads up, Trevor's going to have his diploma next December, so he'll be a guy for your game. So we he's obviously a guy we'd love to get because a guy like Justin Fields and Trey Lance won't be able to be here. So that will be the, the selling point to, to Trevor is come down here and differentiate yourself from those guys. Right. And uh, obviously a really talented guy um, was around him a little bit at the Manning camp last summer. And uh, you know, just a physical specimen and, and the tape is great. Um, so for him to come down in the leadership that he's taken, the we want to play movement um, has been huge. So I think that he's the kind of guy, the more he's around NFL people, um, the better off he'll be. So he would, um, he's a guy we, we definitely have our sights on. It, what was, what was that name? I wanted to make sure I wrote it down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't know if I've heard of him. He, he, he sounds good though. <laughs> Man, that's all I needed to hear. Jim, always great talking to you. Always great getting these updates on everything. And, and we can't wait to have you back on the show again. Yeah, guys, I hope, I hope you're safe and I uh, always love coming on. Appreciate you having me on and, uh, should be a, should be a wild fall. So love to co- come back on whenever you have me. Thank you so much, Jim. All right, guys. Stay safe. Thank you again, and as always, to our great friend Jim Nagy for coming on the show, dropping all the intel. And, Melo, do not forget to write down that name, Trevor Lawrence, uh, sleeper quarterback for the 2021 class. Might be decent. So, Clemson? Yeah, I think he said Clemson. Right. Okay. Yeah. I've got it in my notes now. Long hair, tall, pretty good athlete. Uh, NFC East preview time. Every show until the NFL season starts, we'll be breaking down one division. We're going to start it today with the NFC East, guys. And I think the biggest question is, in the NFC East, there are two haves and two have-nots. And it's just a matter of, can those teams at the bottom fight and claw their way back to the top with 2019 first-round quarterbacks? Let's start with the Dallas Cowboys. I am predicting that this team wins the NFC East. I know that's a shocker. Uh, I'm going with an 11-5 record. But watch for my guy, Blake Jarwin, as the breakout player here. There's already been some whispers that the Cowboys were maybe held back offensively, uh, whether that was through Jason Garrett or Jason Witten. But the Jasons are gone. And the excitement around Blake Jarwin is real in Dallas. Now, they have some receivers there, folks. They are very good. Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, CeeDee Lamb. They're going to throw the ball to Ezekiel Elliott a lot as well. Uh, But I would keep an eye on Blake Jarwin, especially in those red zone situations, as somebody who could be the breakout guy. I I like Blake Jarwin. I wonder how much he's going to be on the field with those three receivers. Uh, You go three receivers. You have Dak out there. You have Zeke. I don't know. I I think that we're probably going to see three receivers – 
go for close to a thousand. I know that's what they want to do. I think they probably can. I really like this team. Uh, I'm going to give my breakout player to Trevon Diggs, the corner out of Alabama. I really think that he's going to be a, a special player. You, you watch him, how athletic he is, how long he is, the ball skills that he has. He's going to get a lot of chances early in Dallas. I think that he can be a special player for them. Record-wise, I have him going 10-6. and six. I, I think they finished first in this division. I think it's going to be a tough battle, but I do think that them and the Eagles are going to kind of beat up on each other. Like you said, Matt, they're two halves sorry to the Giants and the Washington football team fans it's the Eagles and the Cowboys in this division I I mean I really like this Dallas team I'll just put it right out there I have them going 11 and 5 winning this division Uh, I think they're pretty loaded you know I like that you brought up Diggs Mello because I think if you're looking at any area of this team that you know a lot of the focus and questions are on it might be that secondary and when I look at a breakout player for me, I think it's going to be Tony Pollard, somebody they can get involved a little bit more in the pass game. I thought he looked very good as a runner last year, averaging over five yards a carry. Uh, I think he had about 455 rushing yards. So really, really nice season for the rookie, especially when you're playing behind Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, this front seven just got a lot better in the last 10 days, adding Everson Griffin. They made additions to the interior uh, that, you know, when you have two top flight edge pass rushers, really good linebackers playing behind them, an offense that has almost three number one wide receivers. A player in Dak Prescott is heavily underrated year after year. Good offensive line. I think they're the best team in this division. I think there's no excuses for Mike McCarthy to not come in right away and win this division, and the Cowboys should have serious playoff expectations this year. And I'm kind of excited to see Alden Smith. I That was honestly a move I forgot about until training camp started, and I saw people tweeting about, like, Demarcus Lawrence and Alden Smith standing up on the edges together. It's like, speaking of players who haven't been in the league in a while, but, like, that one might be kind of fun to see what Alden Smith can bring well, back to the table. I, I just I wonder about those players all the time. I think Everson Griffin is going to be a huge signing for them. Yeah, bringing him across like they have some guys that can get after the quarterback. I even Neville Gavilmore, the rookie out of Oklahoma, I think fits really well with what they want to do there. I do think that Dallas is like a a top team in the NFC. All right, let's look at Philadelphia, guys. Does Carson Wentz get back to being an MVP caliber player? I like the Eagles. I have a lot of questions about the secondary. I do even have some questions about who's going to get after the quarterback. Obviously, Fletcher Cox is amazing, but what? where's your outside pass rush coming from? Uh, I don't necessarily see it with Adam Lefko's favorite pass rusher, Derek Barnett. Brandon Graham's getting older. We need to see it from Josh Sweat, who was a, a mid-round pick back in 2018. Defensively, this team just scares me a little bit. Like I worry about this crew of talent. Now, a great coordinator in Jim Schwartz, one of the best defensive coordinators in the NFL. So he's probably going to be able to cover some of that up. Adding Darius Slay is going to help a lot. But when I look at a breakout player, I go to Duke Riley, who was, I thought, a very underrated linebacker coming at LSU. He had some injury issues. Playing that weak side linebacker spot for Jim Schwartz, I do think Duke Riley could be someone, even though he at this point is considered a veteran. I would not be surprised if he bounces back and we say like, oh man, this dude's playing at nearly a Pro Bowl caliber clip because I was a big Duke Riley fan when he left LSU. I have this team at nine and seven. I think they will be a wild card team. I just worry a little bit too much about questions on defense. And I do not think Carson Wentz gets back to MVP form. In fact, I have a a bet with our old uh, roadie, big country, if Carson Wentz will be a top five MVP uh, what, vote getter. Yep. 
And I say no, he says yes. So we'll we'll see how that one shakes out over the course of the year. I'm looking forward to it because obviously I have nothing to lose in that bet. But I, I like Carson Wentz. I want to see him have a good year. Uh, but also you have to wonder about the injuries still. I, I know that he played 16 games last year, but you have to worry about the injuries and what he can do. And honestly, I don't think that he played MVP caliber football last year, uh, but he does have some weapons. The Eagles have addressed those wide receiver needs in the draft. I think Jalen Rager is a great athlete. Uh, we did have questions about can he actually catch the football, though, and who else on that team? I think we're going to see some big years from two tight ends that they have. I even think Dallas Goddard can have a really good bounce back year after getting knocked out over the <laughs> summer. Uh, but Zach Ertz, obviously one of the best tight ends in football. My breakout guy is such a cheater move, though. I'm taking Miles Sanders because I think he's going to break out as like a top running back, at least in the NFC. I think that he's going to get involved with the running game more, he's going to go for over a 1,000 yards and kind of show everybody that, yes, he can catch the football still. Coming out of Penn State, he was exceptional out of the backfield. I think that he can be a focal point for this offense. And when you have two tight ends on the field that can block, I think he can get open. I have him going 10-6 and six, uh, and fighting for that wild card spot in the NFC. I'm right here with you guys. They're a wild card team to me, a good football team, a well-coached football team. Uh, I love the quarterback they have there. You know, I have them going nine and seven. I have them as a wild card team, second in this division. When you look at breakout players, it was not easy. I, I mean, like you said, Melo, Miles Sanders is the guy that y you're hoping can not just be a breakout player, but it elevate himself to top running back status. You know, one of the top running backs in that conference. I, I went with uh, Jannard Avery here because, like Matt alluded to, where's the pass rush with this team, right? They have some good rotational guys. But they need a guy like Avery that they traded for from Cleveland to really kind of step in and be one of the dudes on the edge, at least on passing downs. And when I look at this team, the things I really, really like, obviously the tight ends they have, I really like Carson Wentz. I think wide receiver, I think they have enough to get by. It's not great. You're relying on Deshaun Jackson to, to be Deshaun Jackson, right? You know, Jalen Rager is somebody that we had questions about, but hopefully he proves us wrong as that first-round pick. The defense is a well-coached unit. I think quietly, the storyline with this team, in my eyes, guys, is this is an offensive line now in transition, right? You lose Brandon Brooks to injury. That's really tough. We know how good Lane Johnson is. You bring Jason Peters back to play guard. That's an interesting experiment to me. The left side of this offensive line, though, I think is in a transition period where Andre Dillard's got to live up to being the draft pick that you know he was expected to be. So I like the Eagles. I think the Eagles are a playoff team. I just definitely have more questions about them, I think, than I'm used to in the past. Yep, that is a very good way to put it. And, like, love love the coaching staff so much. It's just there right. are a lot of question marks. Also, a lot of question marks with the New York football giants. Does Daniel Jones take that step in year two? What can we expect from Saquon Barkley, hopefully healthy this year? Daniel Jones, by the way, guys, everyone gets on us because the three of us were not high on him at all when they drafted him. I believe Connor gave it an L. I certainly did. When they drafted him. Daniel Jones, 12 picks last year, but 18 fumbles. Led the NFL in fumbles. That's uh, not 30 turnovers, but 30 times you're at least putting the ball near the other team, which is something you don't want to do. I am not expecting Daniel Jones to take that next step. And this is not all his fault. 
You got a, a, a new coach in Joe Judge. You have a new offensive tackle in Andrew Thomas. Nate Solder takes the COVID opt-out. So you're breaking in a lot of new pieces here. I am not a very big fan of their wide receiver core. We're going to be betting on guys like a Darius Slayton to, to step up, betting on a Sterling Shepard to stay healthy. I just I look at this team and it's like, you know what? They might be a little bit better than last year, but I don't think they're good. And I do think the defenses in this division are very good. Like you got to deal with, as we said, that pass rush in Dallas. You have to deal with Jim Schwartz in that mind in Philadelphia. And then you have to deal with what Washington has built with five first rounders on the defensive line, basically. So I don't think that the Giants take that next step. I have them at three and 13. My breakout guy, this is probably cheating too, because I could not find someone that whom you guys did not pick that was a breakout player. The two guys I wanted to pick, you had both beat me to. So I'm going to just take the easy way and say Evan Ingram continues to rise amongst the ranks of NFL tight ends and probably puts himself in that tier behind George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz. We probably see him getting that next group. If I'm Daniel Jones, I'm probably targeting Evan Ingram as my number one guy over the receivers that you have in-house. Uh, I'm also not a believer in what's going on with the Giants. Matt, you mentioned their offense. To me, what stood out was the defense. Who's going to get after the quarterback? I mean, I like Marcus Golden. He's getting a little old. Uh, Lorenzo Carter, loved him coming out. We'll see what happens with him. Uh, Leonard Williams, I don't know that he's a pass rusher. I like what they're building, but I don't think that this is the year that they're going to do it. I think you probably ride Saquon. You try to find a way to get the ball to Evan Ingram, and you pray like hell that you can keep Daniel Jones healthy because when we've seen pass rushers get their hands around him, ball comes out, and that's too many turnovers. That's too many loss of yards that you're seeing with the young quarterback. I, I hope I root for everybody, but I just don't see it with Daniel Jones. I didn't see it coming out of the draft. I saw it in spurts last year, and I almost had a heel turn on him because everybody was so hard on Daniel Jones that when he did come in the game and play well, I wanted to root for the kid. I still want to root for him. I just don't know if we're going to see it. My breakout player, I'm going with Carter Coughlin. He's a rookie. He's a seventh-round pick out of Minnesota, but I love his versatility. Uh, I think that he can be a pass rusher. He can be a traditional linebacker. I think that this coaching staff is going to be able to use him in a lot of different ways, uh, just like we've seen with New England linebackers in the past. I think he's a great fit there, what he wants to do. Sadly, though, if you're a Giants fan, I keep going back and forth between Three and thirteen or four and twelve. I'm going to settle on four and twelve. I feel like being nice. Uh, hopefully, Dave Gettleman can do a wonderful job again this year and get this team to four wins. It's a tough year to go through as much transition that the New York Giants have, and there was things they did this year in the draft that I really like. I'm a big fan of Andrew Thomas. I'm a big fan of Xavier McKinney. They really did make some nice moves, but this is a football team that, after being a first round pick. They were expecting DeAndre Baker to at least be a number two corner, right? And, and he's already long done with his football career. So you look at that, that's a tough loss. You look at a new coaching staff coming in, you know, maybe Joe Judge proves us wrong here, but Jason Garrett coming in as offensive coordinator, it, it's a lot on your young quarterback. Sure, Saquon Barkley is a phenomenal player. The wide receiver group is just okay. The offensive line is still just okay. So I look at this team. I think they're going to finish third in this division. I have them with a couple more wins than you guys at 5-11. and 11, Nothing special. 
I just think that they need a fresh start at the top. I'm over Dave Gettleman running this team. Like I said, I like the draft a little bit this year, but he put himself in such a hole in previous years that now, even if Daniel Jones does have a bad year, you have to sit there and wonder how much help does he really have around him. And one guy that I think can help him a lot, who did break out last year, but I expect even bigger things this year is Darius Slayton. I think Darius Slayton was you know, significantly overlooked in the draft. Tons of speed coming out of Auburn. So if you're a Giants fan, besides the obvious with Saquon, besides the obvious of watching your young quarterback, Slayton is somebody to be very excited about. Yeah, definitely. And probably other than Evan Ingram, the, the best option there, uh, not named Saquon Barkley, to be a receiver. One last team in this division, that is the Washington football team. A lot of questions at the quarterback position. Uh, and then also they have this amazing defensive line. As I said, five first-round picks stretch across that D-line. Oh, and Matt Ioannidis, who's very good and wasn't a first-round pick. Uh, guys, it's a hard team to get a finger on the pulse of, though. It, really, they truly are because... I like Ron Rivera. I don't know how quickly this team's going to acclimate to his type of football. I think there are big, big questions on the offensive line outside of Brandon Scherf. I think there are questions at running back. Darius Geis uh, cut from this team following an arrest. There are questions of can an old Adrian Peterson and uh, an unproven Antonio Gibson carry the load when you don't really know who your quarterback is. Is it Dwayne Haskins? Is it Kyle Allen? Is it Alex Smith? I'll give them credit for having three guys that could probably get the job done. But uh, like Bill Parcells, you say, when you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. When you have three, I don't know what you're doing. So I like the defense, especially the front. They're a little bit old linebacker. That is a question. And then in the secondary, like, who's the dude here? Like, I, Landon Collins, great guy. We've had him on the podcast. Really enjoyed it. Who's the dude in the secondary, though? Like, I'm sorry, Kendall Fuller is not shutting anyone down. There's a reason that he was let go in Kansas City and allowed to come back to Washington. So I look at this roster. It is, unfortunately, there are some promising upside players like a scary Terry. I think this is one of the worst rosters in football. And because of that, I have them going three and 13, just like the New York Giants. It, my breakout player, I do think we could see Jonathan Allen uh, live up to his first round stock a little bit better this year. I loved him coming out of Alabama. And, you know, we haven't seen it. He's not been bad, but we haven't seen him really be dominant we haven't seen him really take over now with these guys beside him I wouldn't be surprised if we see Jonathan Allen have a year like Eric Armstead had last year in San Francisco when you get that much push around you it allows your individual traits to shine a little bit but it's really all about Chase Young this year that's what we're all excited to see and and that's what like if you're watching Washington play this year that's what it's for yeah, I think this defense can stand out. When you look at the front four, they've spent four consecutive first-round picks, and those are pretty high picks, too, on the defensive line. Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, uh, Chase Young, obviously, this year. My breakout guy is going to be Montez Sweat, and one of the reasons you mentioned, Matt, it's because all of the talent around there. I do think the NFL teams are going to look at Chase Young, and he's going to be a problem. And you pretty much got to pick which guy are you targeting on that defensive line. Montez Sweat had a very good rookie year last year, and I think he can come in and be a double-digit sack guy. When you do look at the rest of this football team, though, it's rough. Like I, I really like your, your defensive line and what you have in place there. Linebackers are getting old, though. I mean, Thomas Davis is patrolling in the middle of the field. Uh, that's not a good look. Secondary is a little bit weak. That offense is atrocious, though. Now, offensive line, not good. The targets after Terry McLaren, not good. And now you're relying on Adrian Peterson, 
a Bryce Love, Peyton Barber, or maybe this rookie running back, uh, Antonio Gibson. But even with him, he's never played running back before. I, I think it's going to be a rough year for the Washington football team. I keep wanting to call them that other name, but I won't do it. Uh, I have them going 13-3 and three and... Sorry, three and thirteen. Wow! <laughs> like, what? Whoa, wait. I have them going three and thirteen. <laughs> I do think this is a team that is probably going to be drafting very high in that you know second or third spot, and wondering what do we do with this future quarterback? Can Alex Smith play for a couple more years? Is Dwayne Haskins the guy going forward, or do we have to try to roll the dice on a new quarterback when this is a very quarterback strong draft class? And I think it'll be a tough year, too. I have them going 3-13, and 13, just like you guys, last in this division. Um, you know, you look at it. I, I do think this is Dwayne Haskins' team. I think they are going to get a full look at Dwayne Haskins this year. You know, it's tough. This is an offensive line that has lost key pieces over the years. This is a skill group that has become depleted. You know, Scary Terry, I think, is one of the best young receivers in football, but that's just not enough. The backfield is could be looking kind of thin even though my breakout player is Antonio Gibson, just because I think he'll be asked to handle so many different roles. He'll be asked to be a third down, pass catching running back. He'll get handoffs. Uh, you could even split him out. There's a lot of different things you could do, but I just think it's going to be a tough year for this team. It's great that they could rush the passer, but there's so many holes behind them on that defense that at the end of the day, it might not matter yet. And are they going in the right direction as a franchise and an organization? Absolutely. But is it going to be tough? Like Daniel Jones, will it be tough to evaluate Dwayne Haskins this year? It absolutely will. But unlike Daniel Jones, I don't know if Dwayne Haskins is going to have this fair shake, this long leash. It's, it might be a situation where it's, hey, we're only going to be this bad so many times. There's a guy like Justin Fields or Trey Lance or Trevor Lawrence where we're picking and we have a new coach in Ron Rivera that might sit there and go, you know what? And that could happen to the Giants, too. I shouldn't just say that. I just think things are so rapidly changing in Washington that I feel like it's just going to be a tough situation for Haskins to thrive in this year. Yep, that is a good point. It's not just Washington. It's not just the Giants. I mean, hell, it's Cleveland. It's Las Vegas. There are a lot of places, the Jets, a lot of places where we're watching quarterbacks, hopefully the 49ers, that maybe could be replaced. Um, so it. It's, we're not just shitting on Dwayne Haskins and Daniel Jones. Truly hope the best for those guys, but there's still reason to be concerned right now. All right, let's take a break. When we come back. We're going to end this baby with your draft on draft questions. All right, it is draft on draft time. And our first one from a, a, a colleague at Bleacher Report, Ian Kenyon, says, after listening to the most recent pod, question for the next one. When Greg Roman inevitably leaves Baltimore for a head coaching gig, how much of an impact will that have on Lamar Jackson's future outlook? This is a fantastic question, Ian, and I think this is why Baltimore has to start thinking about this and grooming someone to take that spot, someone behind a Greg Roman, because as much as like I love John Harbaugh, I think that the tabbing of a Greg Roman and giving him the freedom to run his offense here was incredibly impactful, and so... I look at that and say Baltimore has to be ready for Greg Roman leaving and you have to kind of have that guy waiting in the wings, whether that's a David Coley or a James Urban. They have some guys there who are good young coaches, but you got to have somebody ready to go. And I think with I like Greg Roman. I think he's probably going to be a head coach next year. I think some of the greatness of Lamar Jackson is get out of the way. Let him do what he does uh, so well. So I don't know that he's going to see a huge impact from Greg Roman. I Again, not shitting on Greg Roman. 
I just think Lamar Jackson is so special and what he can do with his feet opens up so much more in the passing game. And you have that foundation now of the double tight ends, the running backs that you want to get to. Uh, I think Lamar Jackson is going to be good even after we see a Greg Roman leave. And I think it's great for Lamar Jackson that he had Greg Roman, you know, during his his ages of 21 and 22 years old. Right. When you look at it and now 23 and and we'll see how long after that. But it would spend good to develop under a guy like Roman. I think we've seen him, um, you know, give Lamar Jackson a little bit more in the second year than in the first year. It felt like they were tailoring things to be a little bit safe. And I think by the time Roman's gone, Lamar will come into his own so much. Like Melo said, that you kind of give him the freedom to go out and make plays. You keep the run scheme the same. I mean, they drafted a guy in J.K. Dobbins to literally keep the run game going after the days of Mark Ingram. They have a great offensive line. So I'm a believer in Greg Roman, and I'm going to be a believer wherever he goes. And like I said, I'm already trying to hype up him getting somebody like a Trey Lance. But I think for Lamar Jackson, my fear factor, I mean, maybe the offense takes a baby step back here and there because it's been so high powered, but I don't think it'll absolutely hurt a guy's career in that regard. You know what's great is like Greg Roman, the type of quarterback we think he wants, right? I mean, like he was with Kaepernick in San Francisco. We see him now with Lamar, uh, was with Buffalo, I believe, for a stint in between. The three, the big three quarterbacks in this year's draft, they all fit him. Trevor Lawrence. Perfectly. Like, watch Trevor Lawrence against Ohio State. Tell me that boy can't run. He can. Uh, oh, yeah. Justin Fields, obviously. Uh, more. I think more of a power runner, but is a runner. And then Trey Lance, who I, I said on the Friday show, he reminds me of Deshaun Watson. There, You can't go wrong with one of those guys if Greg Roman lands in a spot where he can then turn around and get himself a quarterback. All right, second question from Brandon Albert. Is there any job worse to work on a game day than the end zone security guard who has to stand with their back to the game and watch the crowd? So, I don't know. Like, I feel like if you're in, like, the dog pound or the black hole working security, like, you don't want to be that guy or whomever has to pull the crowd out of the Lambo leap, you know? Like, I, I just don't think security would be a fun job at all. I definitely I'm not signing up to do it anytime soon. I think the actual people working the concession stands would be the worst. Like there's usually like you can find TVs that are around, but you can't watch the game. And also you have to deal with the fans uh, personally. Like you are interacting with them. You are talking with them. And there are a lot of really stupid fans at NFL games. So for me, like the security one sucks, but it's also cool that you're on the field and that you do get to see some of those big moments. The people working the concession stand have to put up with way too much bullshit for how much they get paid. Now, the best is the ticket guy at baseball games, because after first pitch, you pretty much just stand there and watch baseball for a couple hours and then you get <laughs> to go home. So I think that is the the counter argument. But yeah, I mean, I have a theory that those end zone security guards half the time probably don't even give a shit about football. Like, how could you, honestly, if that at that point? Uh, I don't think you could. Yeah. It's like the concert. You're not watching. The concert security guys. Yes. Who are just like, <laughs> uh, at least at a concert, I guess you could hear it. Those guys are the worst. Like, don't ever mess with them. They're just in a bad mood. And I feel like... They're looking f- to fuck you up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, they're just there to get in a fight and maybe get paid minimum wage to do it. It's like, you know what? I can make $15 tonight and punch somebody in the face. Let's do it. It's cheaper than therapy. Uh, Antho Oreo asks, which running back duo has better production, Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor 
or Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins? Now, Colts fans. Wow. Good question. Colts fans are pissy because Mike Tannenbaum <laughs> said that Marlon Mack had an average year last year. He had like 1,100 yards. He had a good year. But they're upset this morning, which is, I'm sure, why we're getting this question. I don't know. Like, if you say production, I know I think Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins are going to score more touchdowns. I would expect that Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor have more yards. But it's just like what so what type of production are you are you talking about? Now, marking around JK Dobbins is gonna win a lot more football games. But the better question might be which duo would you rather have? And for me, it would be Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor. See, I'm leaning Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins. And I think a lot of it is like the offensive line that is already in place. Yes, I remember who Quentin Nelson is. But I think that the complete offensive line that the Ravens have, and Mark Ingram just being able to come in, we've seen him be able to play with other running backs before, but also like take these young running backs under his wing and say, hey, I can help groom you, and then I'll be gone in a couple years, and you can still be Pro Bowl level back. I wonder if we're going to see that same relationship with Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor. Or, you know, on the other hand, maybe that competition drives both of them to be better. I think it's a win-win situation for both teams, uh, but I lean towards the Mark Ingram, J.K. Dobbins. I think Ingram and Dobbins will be more productive this year. I think maybe long-term in the future, you obviously like the, the age of Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor there. And I know Dobbins obviously is a rookie, but Ingram's a guy that has decent amount of tread on the tires at this point. But if I was betting on one duo this year, uh, I would go with Ingram and Dobbins. But I think Taylor will have a bigger role than Dobbins if you're looking for what rookie should have the bigger season. It feels like as good as Marlon Mack has been, it feels like Taylor is just going to kind of start getting the carries over time because he's, he's just a better player. I think Jonathan Taylor will probably lead the four of them in rushing yards. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that too. Hey, I have a question, guys. Do you think we, like as media, we sleep on Mark Ingram? Yeah, I think we do. I think some of it is because like he just doesn't get like the huge numbers, but he's so tough and productive. And I even think that for a while, like excuses were almost made of like, ah, well, he's in he's in New Orleans. Like, that's just because Sean Payton's like amazing. And it's like he's like he's really good. He's the rare running back that like after 26, he got better. Like, yeah, 27, 5.1 yards carry 28, 4.9, 29, 4.7 last year, five. And I know Balt, you know Baltimore had a phenomenal system last year, but he's just somebody that has not really aged. And he's never really he's never like gotten the opportunity to be the feature back. He's always been paired with somebody else. And even last year with the Ravens, I, Lamar took a lot of carries away from him. As weird as that sounds, and then going forward this year, J.K. Dobbins is going to take a lot of carries from him. So I, I do think that it would be really interesting to see his career if he were that Zeke Elliott feature back that he just hasn't had the opportunity to be yeah it is I love watching the Ravens play football like if it's the Ravens and the Chiefs for me like if if they you could pick two teams and they're the only teams you get to watch all year I'm picking those two teams because I love the way they play two questions from our guy Garrett Greenlee at this point in the draft process is Penny Sewell the best offensive lineman you guys have ever scouted so I'm going to say no. And again, I probably have the benefit or the crutch of age a little bit here, but I've been doing this a long time, like 10 years of BR and a hell of a lot longer before that. So I don't think so. Like I was trying to quickly scroll back through my notes. I really liked Quentin Nelson. I know we all did. I was not unique in that regard. 
Quinn Nelson had an almost perfect grade from me as a guard. So I think Quentin Nelson is going to be tough for anyone to overcome. I actually really liked Laramie Tunsil as well. And I would think that Penny probably grades out close to where I had Tunsil. Um, and I was a big Brandon Scherf fan as well. So those are, you know, just within the last six or seven years, those three guys were pretty highly graded for me. And he is the best I've ever scouted. I think if we were looking at this in a normal year where we didn't have three exceptional quarterbacks, Penny Sewell goes number one overall, and it's not even a discussion. I think that maybe even if you remove Trevor Lawrence from this draft class, everybody would be talking about Sewell number one and probably no one else. For me, he's in the conversation with Quentin Nelson and Ronnie Stanley. Those are two guys that after, you know, right before their senior years, I was like, okay, these are these guys are top five, top ten picks, phenomenal players. I mean, arguably, I'd Quentin Nelson actually as the number one overall player in that class. But so Sewell's right there, right? Like I have him as the number one overall player in this class right now. On a grade scale, he's right there with Quentin Nelson and Ronnie Stanley. He's that good. Yeah, no, he's he's fun to watch. It's just it's hard. To, he's not generational. Yeah, not generational. Ah, man. I hate that word. I that do means too. that you're like the only one. Like, yeah. well, you almost have like to Julio Jones. It. Right. I know last generation we talked about presidential, and I I stole that from Reddit, which is I wish I knew who did it because they deserve credit. But like presidential, it's like every four to eight years. Like you're the best prospect in the last four to eight years of that position. Okay, I'll give that to you. Now the follow up to this question from Garrett Greenlee: Do you think that Penny's grade will be higher than Quentin Nelson's was in 2018? I just don't know. I'm going to be honest. I don't know. I think that's very hard. I, again, I had uh, Quentin Nelson at almost perfect. And the only reason he wasn't was because positional value. I haven't put a number grade on Penny Sewell yet. And I know, like, I guess I could because I don't know if he's going to play any more football. But I do find myself waiting to see if he's going to play more football. And I I actually think that's one thing that's maybe going to hurt him, especially when you look at, uh, Matt, how you put like a number grade on him. We're not going to be able to see him come in and dominate in his last season like we did with like guys that Connor mentioned, Quentin Nelson, uh, Ronnie Stanley, Laramie Tunsil, all these guys who have come through and been really good draft picks before. They had that last season where they were the veteran they were the upperclassmen. They came through. They dominated. We won't see that from Penny Sewell. So I think that will keep him from getting uh, that number grade. Even last year, Chase Young. We knew Chase Young was going to be a phenomenal talent. And then he comes through and gets 19 sacks as a junior. We're not going to be able to see Penny Sewell have his zero sack season where he just pancakes everyone in front of him. But you can just go back and watch the Auburn game over and over again if you need to see him pancake Derek Brown because it's, <laughs> right? it's definitely out there. Last question from Jacob Light. Would you rather have Pat Mahomes with the Seahawks weapons or Russell Wilson with the Chiefs weapons? I would rather have Russell Wilson with the Chiefs weapons. Me too. Yeah, as crazy as it sounds. I love I'm shocked you guys said that. I love I was Pat, not expecting that. I, I don't love the Seahawks weapons. And I think when you look at the rest of the Chiefs lineup with Travis Kelsey, uh three or four receivers that are really good, and then Clyde Edwards Lair in there at running back, like it it's tough to pass those guys up. That's the thing. And it so it's like no disrespect to Pat, whom I love and I think he's the best quarterback in football. I think Russell Wilson's the third best quarterback in football, and it's not like that far behind. I think if we did make this trade, you would still see you would see the Chiefs and the Seahawks in the Super Bowl. <laughs> Probably so. Uh, Mello giving away his early Super Bowl pick. Also, I'm taking Andy Reid over Brian Schottenheimer. Oh hell yes, every yeah. Season. I mean, yeah. come on. 
this this is like an exercise of like damn sometimes we still don't appreciate what russ has to go through with that line we'll see what dk could do this year he looks like a machine in training camp again but the, you know obviously there's more to that mahomes is just as great as he is that god Clyde edwards a lair now that team is just littered with weapons yeah and the the Seahawks offensive line is still not that good. The Chiefs oh. offensive line has some leaks, but it's they have the best right tackle in the game. That helps. And the Seahawks probably have the worst. Yep. In Brandon Shell. Very, so very true. It makes a difference. It does. It absolutely does. Uh, you guys make a difference as well. Thank you for sending in the draft on draft questions. We appreciate all the reviews you're leaving on Apple Podcasts. We are reading those. We're taking that feedback. We're bringing the questions into the show. So for Mello and Connor, y'all have a great week. We'll be back Friday morning.